Graham is an all-in believer in chemtrails. It's not like asking, you know, Ford or Mercedes or Toyota to, instead of making an internal combustion engine, to make an electric car. It's like asking them to make a, a, a you know, a trans, a portal. Or it's, it's very different. <laughs> okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Ira Pastor a little bit later. Uh, CEO of a pharmaceutical company of sorts. It's not the kind of pharmaceutical company you're thinking of, though. Some more um, custom medicine and things like that. A lot less, a lot less evil than the uh, than what you're thinking. I hope, at least. Which, of course, brings me to the one and only Graham, the corporate shill Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? What the fuck? Yeah, since he sold out to Big Pharma, got a nice oh, new yeah, car. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take him out for lunch a few times, but you know, no, it's all good. Yeah, this, this that was a good. It was a good episode. Why he be yeah, it's interesting. Us out for well, lunch? Hey, there, there's some real interesting things going on in biology. I mean, there's nothing wrong with making drugs that help regenerate and and do. You know, it's less damage control than than normal. I mean, I think there's a big difference here. Yeah, really interesting that uh, that he, he'd come on the show and talk about it. Yeah, it was a good. Yeah, it was one of those ones he's surprised to get, and how and how the research was really going well for a while, and then it got shut down. You know, government got involved and it got shut down. You know, and then it gets pushed to other countries and stuff. I've heard some some great things going on in other countries with stem cell research and like healing, like massive healing potential through in a place called pa- Panama. Panama, Israel. It's just you know people are going down there and coming back fucking healed with Trigger and Cyrus. Yeah. Yeah. What did he call it? Vampirism. Vampirism. <laughs> He's got a point. Why? Hey, Google, what's the definition of vampirism? Vampirism, the action or practices of a vampire. <sighs> really? <laughs> you want to elaborate, Google? Hey, Google, can you elaborate? Sorry, I'm confused. She doesn't remember what she said last. Anyways. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. And of course, I always wonder how far ahead the black world is with this stuff. You know, if these guys are on the verge of regenerating kidneys and stuff like that, and that's where they're focusing their effort. Aren't they already and... 3D printing kidneys? Well, I don't know if they're... I mean, you know what I mean? Hey, Google, can you uh, 3D print a kidney? Here's a summary from the website TED.com. Oh, no. Printing a human kidney. Surgeon Anthony Atala demonstrates an early stage experiment that could someday solve the organ donor problem, a 3D printer that uses living cells to output a transplantable kidney. Hey, Google, stop. Printing- you know, there's a lot of money in the organ game. My apologies. <laughs> Shut I don't the understand. fuck up. Shut up. She's not going to... Okay. What about the organ game? 
What are you kidding me? There's a lot of money in the organ. Are you kidding group. me? Did you know? <laughs> what are you kidding me? <laughs> well, Canada or China's only got something like 37 registered organ donors. But <laughs> they, it's like, uh, fuck, I read something that it was something like 10,000. Extremely conservatively, there's 10,000 organ surgeries in China every year. Illegal ones? Yeah. Like backdoor, like. Yeah. And it, yeah. Hey, Google, how many organ transplant no, surgeries no, no, are in China every year? Sorry, I don't know how to help with that. What a waste of 150 bucks. Yeah, I didn't even approve that purchase. It was no. supposed to be a fucking gift or some surprise. <laughs> surprise, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, yeah, very interesting chat. So what you're saying is there's there's a uh, a problem in the world because organs are getting to be on the black market. They're expensive, so people are getting knocked out. Yeah, don't you and, see those and, Chinese and people the, downtown all the time? Without, they wake up without a kidney? No, in China they just kill you. No. It's prisoners. They do it. No, no, no. They take the prisoners. They don't kill you. Then they then you can they'll come back later for a different organ. No? How many times do you think you do that? <laughs> I, don't know, like I guess if you only five, took maybe? one kidney one time, maybe you could go yeah. back for the Doesn't other. Doesn't the kidney. liver grow back a little bit? You can just keep taking. You just chunks take of most of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny. Haven't you seen the guys downtown? They're there every day. I don't know what you're talking about. On the about. corner of Center Street and 4th Ave downtown, protesting the fucking, in Calgary here, protesting. Protesting what? The Chinese fucking black market organ oh, fucking wow, really? scene. Yeah. Wow. It's a big thing. How much you get for a kidney? A lot, a I think. A couple thousand dollars or? Probably more than that. I think it's only like two or two or five thousand dollars. Is it that cheap? Ask, ask, ask Google. Hey Google, what's a kidney worth on the what? black market? Here's a summary from the website ksfm.radio.com. The going rate for a kidney in the U.S. is two hundred sixty-two thousand dollars. Oh my God! No, on Here's the black on market. Your body is worth. You ask on the her, black market. Hey Google, stop. US. Stop. Stop. And don't just pull up a latest website, especially from some. Do a little bit of fucking, fucking AI research station. here. WKRP. Okay, can you? Uh, no, I'm not asking properly? it anything. Doesn't know. I'm sending 50 grand at least. No, no, no. It's like five at most. If you're dead, it's life or not death. Not if you're dead, if you're alive. If your kidney's not working, you're in fucking dialysis five, six days a week. Don't ask. Hey, Google, what's a black market kidney worth? On the website ksfm.radio. Oh, my God. Google, the stop. same one? Here's more on what your body is worth. Kidney, $262,000 in the U.S., $62,000 in China, $15,000 in India. Pine of blood, $337 in the U.S., just $25 in India. Here we go. I found a website. How much is your body worth on the black now, market? Now, Google, you should have gone to that, the organ trade. I mean, come on. Kidney, 95 grand. Oh, wow. That's quite a bit. On the black and market, And the heart's yeah. only 3,300. Geez, heartless over there. Yeah, no kidding. A lung's 50 bucks? No, a lung's 60. A heart and lung. What does that mean? Is this that the connection? Kidney's only 2,100. Yeah, 20. Kidney, pancreas, 2,100. Huh. Bone marrow. Ooh, here we go. Okay, the living can sell hair, 
$70 for 10 inches. Blood, $340 a pint. Bone marrow, 23000 per gram. Sell your eggs, 12.4K per IVF cycle in the what U.S. About, what about sperm? Surrogate womb, twenty to 30000 in India. Eighty to one hundred fifty thousand in the U.S. A surrogate womb, kidneys, and that and that says you don't even have to take it out. Two hundred grand. They make up seventy-five percent of the global organ trade. Wow. Maybe I should. Think- Ten dollars per square inch of skin. Heart legal a million. Illegal one hundred twenty thousand. So yeah, you can get the kidney for sixty grand in China. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. I thought it was less than that. So 50, 60 grand for a kidney. So yeah, man, if you're doing 10,000 of those a year. Hey, Google, what's 10,000 times 50,000? The answer is 500 million. That's the kind of question she's good at. So half a billion dollars a year. Because it's faster than you can type it on a calculator. Half a billion a year in kidneys. Yeah. Hmm. That was pretty quick. Yeah. Just adding zeros. I just don't know. Ask her in harder multiplication one. Are you kidding me? You're going to cut out that silence. <laughs> you want me to try and stump the fucking. No, no. And I didn't say stump. Hey, Google, I just want to do a test and speed. 167 divided by 3 plus 72 times 613 minus 3 plus 72. The answer is 48,213. <laughs> That's pretty quick. That's pretty good. That's the only thing she's good for. Adding shit up. Yeah. So forget your common core, kitties. Just go with a Google. Hey, Google, what's 62,000 times two? The answer is 124,000. Hey, Google, can you live off one kidney? On the website kidney.org, they say... Most people who are born without a kidney lead normal, healthy lives. Okay, hey Google, stop. A person may have had one kidney hey, Google, stop. during an operation in order hey, Google, to prevent injury or. Oh my God. We could generate quick hundred grand for the show here. <laughs> we'll just each sell one of our kidneys. Your mind's not doing too good anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we could generate a quick 80 grand. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. It's an awful organ. Too fit. much of the sports drinks. Is that what Apparently. It is? Remember, we get into it in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. <clears throat> going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. Words to ponder and critique. All right, this is from the CIA.gov library reading room. (coughs) I know Darren doesn't like this, but we're going to try it out anyway. So this is uh, approved for release in August 11th, uh, 2000. I'm not listening. Um, That's from Okinawa, Japan. Uh, let's see here. There's a serial number on it. The country, Japan. Subject, the Ministry to Study Psychic Powers, UFOs for Future Industry. Tokyo, Kyoto, in English. Um, 19th of February, 1993. 
So it says Japan's bureaucrats are beginning to take the burgeoning new age industry seriously with a plan to study supernatural phenomena, including psychic powers and even unidentified flying objects. Government officials said on Friday, the Ministry of International Trade and Industry, that's MITI, officials said that the ministry plans to form a research institute for scientific study of art, culture, and parapsychology, such as telepathy and clairvoyance. And this is for the application to next generation industry. So I wonder what they've done since then. And that's like, that's, that was like fucking 30, 20 years ago. Next gen industries. The proposed Institute, which will likely be set up in 1995 is the brainchild of a meaty panel established last November to study creation of an industry more sensitive to human needs for art, inner peace and other intangible things. The official said the panel comprising key figures from a variety of business and cultural circles is accumulating data on the effect of cultural activities such as tea ceremonies, flower arranging, and the state of the mind through brainwave checks and other scientific examinations. The scientific approach will also be tried with telepathy, 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 UFOs, and other parapsychological and occult phenomena, long ignored but gaining credibility of late in the scientific community. The research would include brainwave checks on those who claim to experience telepathy or study of such phenomena as soothing music, triggering quick, quicker growth of plants. The panel will draft an interim report on its activities by May, providing concrete ideas for the planned Institute. The officials said discoveries made at the Institute are likely to be applied in a variety of ways to industry, especially for audiovisual equipment manufacturing. One example is the possible application is a home-use device which emits supersonic waves to relax people by giving them the illusion that they are sitting in a forest. I can think of another way you could relax people. <laughs> Read on the ca.gov website. <laughs> there you go, buddy. Why, I don't know why the CIA's got to keep track of that. Because they're old school. True dot. True dot. They've been tracking that shit for years since before it was since they were like Japanese weather balloon spy plane things. Yeah. <laughs> what else you got? You got anything? Yeah, I got uh, an email from. Uh, well, let's actually. I'll do the other email first. What is it? Is it's it just. A, I think it's just a. Uh, now I can't find it here. Having problems with my email. So if people aren't aren't getting responses from me. Um, I'm sorry. I'll try to catch up and keep up. Yeah, and if James so is an listening email, to the show in Mexico, I still don't have it properly on my laptop. <laughs> it's gone. It's disappeared. So I'm having troubles again with my emails. I feel like I'm, you know, whining about it again. But help, help. We shifted everything over, and it was supposed to work. My email's working great, James. Everything's working perfect. Really? Yeah. I Are really like how the calendar integrates. Oh. I think the app could be better. So I think eventually, what I'll end up doing is just setting up the outlook or whatever it fuck it is whatever whatever we're using now i'm just i might just end up using that on the native the native fucking mail app again instead of using the outlook one i really like the outlook calendar integration and everything but it's fucking with my copy paste game I have to reply a certain way or it won't send and i get really fucking triggered when it happens yeah of course so. All right, so this is from uh, 
from Keith. He says, hello, gentlemen. My name is Keith, and I've been listening since Thanksgiving 2017. First of all, let me say how much I enjoy the chats. You boys keep... Oh, I don't know if he meant the chats, like the chat room, the perpetual chats, or our chats. I think he means our chats. You boys keep it simple and guide these conversations with an enjoyable variety of individuals. I also appreciate the doses of skepticism you both contribute to the show, tempering the viewpoints of the more extremist guests. As a stoner with independent political views, mild supernatural tendencies, and an active mindfulness practice, the show appeals to me. That's our fucking demo. That's awesome. Um, and, and if you don't want an email to be read, you got to say so, because everything is subject to being read, unless you say so. And if you don't want your name said, then you got to put that in the subject line or somewhere at the beginning of the email. Yeah. I've been listening sporadically, bouncing around the titles and guests with the most interesting content. Today, I listened to the chat about the Federal Reserve and banking. I have a suggestion for the family whose daughter has bone cancer. Let's get that girl connected with some Rick Simpson oil. I live in Colorado, and I'm sure we could accommodate the family and healthy, with healthy living arrangements and medical cannabis. I've encountered, encountered multiple people who treated cancer and other serious maladies with cannabis, and I firmly believe in its healing properties. Just a thought. Finally, I'd like to say thank you. Your content is prime, and I usually have a belly laugh per episode. Keep up the goofy Canadian goodness, spreading the light and love and compassion. Best regards, Keith. Darren, thanks for correcting Graham's pronunciation. Graham, it's NASA, not Nassau. And you know what I just thought of there? People giving me a hard time when you mispronounce my name every fucking time you read it. So what about all those mispronunciations? Nobody cares. Nobody bro. cares. But Nobody NASA cares. or fucking NASA nuclear. Nuclear. It's just fucking mind blowing. Yeah. It's no one else no one else hears it. It's like you get you and a couple people have this weird fucking thing where you can hear the difference between Graham and Graham. <laughs> but most people don't even notice. They don't even know what we're talking about right now. I think it's purely a Canadian thing. No, it's not Canadian. No, most of those fucking Nobody's... with all these American accents, you gonna tell me the the Graham and Graham? There's a I, hey, most people. I, I used to work with a bunch of Europeans, Eastern Europeans. They're all Grom, Grom. They would say Grom. Grom. Our Middle Eastern people say it that way as well. Grom. Yeah. So that where's the H in that? I know. I'm not Tell saying you, you're the you only say, one. I'm just Grom. saying. Grom. Yeah, I'm just saying. Why aren't you know? People are become, you're always niggling me about my pronunciation of things. So, anyways, the Rick Simpson oil. Yes, that we was, had Rick Simpson on. That was tried, and actually, and we had him on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Keith might be interested in that episode. I'm pretty Go sure back. that's where Garrett heard about it. it. Was originally from our show. No way. Apparently, they did a good job making it. I actually bought some. Um, Should I put it in the? I'll put that episode in the show notes. I bought some. You can get the Phoenix Tears locally now for forty bucks a gram. Oh, really? So technically. Yeah, and you're, you're, I think in the beginning you're taking like a gram, you're taking about a gram and a half a day. So, I mean, you're only, it's for 60 bucks a day, you could be treating yourself now. So, they did try that? You'd be fucked up. They did try I that with fucking two, I ate 0.2. I was fucked up. <laughs> okay, let's... Yeah, we don't have to talk about that part of it. It's a healing. Well, I don't know. I don't know how you'd eat a whole fucking gram and a half of it. You'd be planning to stay on the couch for like a month. It's before bed thing. And so you do it before bed, then you wake up and then and you're okay the next day. 
No, you're on it all day. You're supposed to be on the couch not moving. All you're supposed to be doing is fucking resting and eating. Remember, that's what he said. That's what Rick Simpson said. It was like, he's like, for the first fucking month, you're not going to move. But he's like, that's good. You shouldn't be moving. Huh. You're resting, you're healing, you're eating, you're sleeping. And eating greens. And a lot of pasties, I'd imagine. Fasting, maybe. Someone else is telling me today they do intermittent fasting. Anyways, new jingle. That, that one's a good earworm. I'll play it out at the end in its entirety, but another big shout out to the King of Jingles for that one. Which, of course, does sort of fit into our value for value system over here. Yep. Felix doesn't donate to the show. Instead, he gives us these incredible jingles all the time, sends us a ton of outro music, um, host Leopardy. That's oh, a, that's a game. That's a trivia. Know? Oh shit! Trivia that's no, sorry. That's Felix. Budget that's episode. not. That's not. That's a different Felix. That's Felix Trebek. Oh, Felix Trebek. <laughs> that's his. That's his cousin. <laughs> that's on our Black Budget episode. And to get access from that, you can just donate anything, anything at all. There's not like a monthly Man. thing you have to do, but monthly donations do help. But we're not forcing everybody to do like five or ten bucks a month. It's just whatever you can afford. Yep, and that's on Patreon as well. If you yeah. subscribe on Patreon, I send you the link because we do we do have the Patreon option now as well for people who don't like PayPal. Go to Patreon, do there uh, as soon as you sign up there. The only catch with Patreon is I don't think there's an option for one time. I think whatever you do on Patreon becomes a monthly thing. Yeah, and you can mail stuff to the PO box as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's on the contact page, America.csh contact. Got, got another uh, donation from Nikki in the PO box. Appreciate that, Nikki the dude. He's like every quarter we get a card, a nice postcard from him, or a little with a card. A couple of greenbacks. Yeah, that's a great way to yeah yeah to buy some show. coffees when we go to Spokane. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll save it for or our next pays American his journey. fucking James's way over the border. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I got an email here from our first Patreon subscriber. Since we just finally got that set up. Hey guys, I'm sending this to both of you because all you Canadian people sound alike. And I can't oh, tell which, which is which one of you is the one I like. So if you're the one I don't like, feel free to disregard this. Darren, you can disregard this. I found out about you via the tinfoil hat guys on one of your crossover shows. I love you guys to death and really appreciate what you do. You make a good case for your value for value program. So I've gone ahead and conquered the historic spot of your very first Patreon subscriber title. I will forever be rem- remembered as that guy in Grimerica history. That's right. He will be. Popped our Patreon cherry. I know you are probably... It makes you st- wonder who the first PayPal subscriber was now. Maybe it was my Uncle Dave. Well, technically, I think your Uncle Dave was one of the very first supporters of the show, but he never subscribed to the... Th- he would never do that. So oh, he yeah, would right. just send like 60 oh, yeah, bucks yeah, a year. yeah. yeah. But there is, there's still like five people that are still on the original Canadian $5 a month. So it's one of those five people is the original. Yeah. I know you're probably still working with the Patreon thing out. 
but you should definitely add higher subscription rates. I had to force the settings twice to jump over from $1 a month to 5 Anyway, that's all I wanted to say. No real point to this email. I love you guys. You guys are great. You get some real kooks where he's rambling. Keeps me wonderfully entertained while I clock my 9 to 5 here in Boston. And for that, I will forever be grateful to you or just pay you 5 bucks a month for being so swell. Stay warm, Kev. Kevin. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, and Darren, Darren's looking at the, oh, the, the Patreon an, thing. Oh, wait, to, I did uh, have another email. To, to, uh, yeah, I'll to, fix that. Yeah, he'll fix that. One way or another. I did have an email that I wanted to read as well, which is actually too bad because now that I think about it, I actually forgot to, I think I forgot to do the disclaimer on the... Uh, um, on the email out? Yeah. Oh, no, on the Black Budget app. Anyway, I got Oh, any- geez. Well, we should, should we talk about our next Black Budget app that's coming out? The one with Bilo? Yeah. Do you want to? Or? In a minute. Um, so I did get an email. I sent out. So I got I got the classic, uh, the email from PayPal. This is someone had signed up for a subscription. And I sent them the URL. And they immediately replied, hey I have been listening for a while, and I think I may have been one of those people that accidentally <laughs> fell into the free end of the black budget offerings. You guys rock. Thanks for doing what you do. In the words of my recently passed oystering mentor, keep on shucking. Nice. Eric G. Nice. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. And uh, I actually have to reply to him still. Let him know that. That's cool. He'll probably hear this before. Eric, you'll be hearing this before. Well, you hopefully I was going to reply to him and let him know that we do have a regular show. Yeah. Because oh, he yeah. could only be listening to the Black Budget feed. Yeah. I'm sure he would have found the regular show by now. You never know. You do never know. You can't even get your fucking email working five years in. I know. Not me. I'm, people are volunteering to help, so I'm letting them help. It doesn't seem to help. <laughs> I should just go. I should just open up a Yahoo address. Just grabscavs at gmail dot com. Yahoo dot ca. I'll just do Yahoo. Yahoo. Why Yahoo? Yeah, just because it's old school. It's gonna. It's, yeah. It's It'll gonna, probably work better than the fucking this newfangled stuff that's supposed to connect all all our devices. And now I don't get them on my laptop, and I get them on my phone, and then I don't. My phone doesn't go all the way back, so I got to look at both, and then. <sighs> huh. Should be a jingle for that. I think there is a jingle for that, actually. But Grant? Graham's rant? Grant? I don't think it's on here, actually. <clears throat> we could do a rant segment. I got some rants. We could save up some rants. Save up some rants. We'll do a segment. I'll get the jingle. I'll get that fucking jingle on here so we could do a proper one. We got a lot of great feedback on the skies over America. So that segment's going well. About to keep doing that. And we'll start with uh, our weekly bless up blessing from Mr. Coop himself. It says, bless up, boys. Be symbol. And we've got uh, always a good time with you guys from Rob Lowe. Focus 10. It's Focus 10. 
That's right. Oh, for fuck's sakes, I need to meditate. Yeah. Uh, On Jingleworthy, which was the car in the ditch, don't drive baked, eh? Keep up the good works. Grimerica does my head in again. Or whatever. That was on the Truth Cat episode. Ah, another one on the skies over Grimerica. Another great episode. I love learning about stars and mythology. Another one on Jingleworthy. You guys, you have great guests. Keep up the good work. I just became a member after listening for too long without support for the commercial free interviews. From Sumerian Text. So finally, see, some people go years before they, their conscience finally yeah. gets to them. Yeah. They're like, I got to subscribe. You'll tell you right now, if you just subscribe right off the bat, you don't get those feelings. <laughs> uh, on episode 110, which was actually what? That'd be years ago. Wow. As always, good stuff. Hmm. Uh, on number 241, you should rename your show The Two Morons. Poor Dr. Valet, you're not helping. To which I replied. We're not helping? Yeah. Poor Dr. Valet? From Audrey Rains. She spelled your wrong. She used the wrong your, so I pointed that out for her. And then I said, you should rename yourself to Audrey Paines. (laughs) (laughs) Get it? Uh, I don't get it. Because her name was Audrey Rain. Yeah. I said she should be Audrey Payne. Oh, she was really she mean. The ass. Yeah, she was really yeah. mean. Yeah, <laughs> two morons, really. Yeah, yeah. It's the YouTube trolls. Like, why does he? I why do you like have to say anything like that? Darren and the moron. But the two morons, oh, or Graham and the moron. One of us. And about Val and on valets for the for the like. I thought we did pretty good that. on valet. Actually, there's a chance he was talking about you two and just left me right out of it. Me and Red. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, why? But why even? I don't get it. No. That's why I like reading these. Yeah. Ah, number 267 from the original Larry. Ah, my two favorite Scandinavians. Rock on, boys. They're from Larry America? Propagate the formula and support the show. Nice. Ah, uh, from Buddy Craig Flowers. Did pain, the pains get back to you? No. No. You guys should have lead Skalin pers- a lead Scallonin person on again sometime. Uh, and Randall Carson, I'm so glad... To have run across this guy. Wow, I've learned quite a bit from Randall's scholarship, and many of his hypotheses are parallel with Graham Hancock's work. Wow, that sounds like someone who's just starting to go down the Randall Carlson rabbit hole yeah. that's about to be fucking mind fucked. Yeah. Um Skies of America. Oh shit, it's Darren and Graham on the YouTubes. I'm a little late to the party, but I am now subscribed and notifications are enabled. I don't know why I'm just now checking out the YouTube feed. Uh, 267, this has got to be the most out there episode I've ever heard on your show. I'm not sure if my mind is blowing or my BS detector is going off. Either way, keep up the great work, gents. And on number 266, where Felix played us the little flute ditty, we got, shut up. I learned country gardens on my flutophone in the third grade. (laughs) When I was going to run over to the Twitter quick, I did want to do, I wanted to make sure we gave a shout out to at uh, Occult Fan over on the East Coast who helped out a friend of the show with uh, Herb nice, of the yeah. show and made his little trip to uh, Beantown a little funner. Nice. So, yeah. 
Thanks for the hug. Thanks for the hug. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, shout out to, that's at Occult Fan on Twitter. If you guys want to follow him, he's cool. Uh, Yeah. I think that's about it. I can't really gain anything else from the Twitter. There's nothing. There's way too much. Oh, here's a good joke from Nikki, actually. Did y'all hear about the story of the lady sheriff from Texas? She had a big posse. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got, buddy. You got anything else? Nope, that's it, buddy. That's about it. All right, guys, support the show. Big thanks to Ira for coming on. Yeah, big thanks to Ira. Take a chance on some pharmaceutical company here. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the chat. It's a fun one. Tonight we've got Ira Pastor with us. He's the CEO of BioCork, and he spent he spent decades in the in the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, BioCork is an interesting company, looking at cellular repair and uh, regeneration. And it's uh, like a biopharmaceutical. We're going to talk to Ira about all that, and uh, this should be a really interesting show. Thanks for coming on, Ira. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, this is a little bit of a different uh, different take for us, different speed. So it's good to. Kind of approach some some subjects like this. Um, kind of sounds like, you know, reading through all your stuff and all that. It really sounds like you guys are on the leading edge of some interesting, you know, biotech technology. And I don't know where you where do you want to start. Do you want to start with a little bit of your background, or do you want to get into uh, BioCork right off the bat? I'll definitely give you the background because I, uh, even though I spent um, thirty plus years in the most thought of the traditional pharmaceutical industry, I sort of, you know, came in more as a, a generalist. I'm not a scientist by background. I'm a, I was actually trained by, as a pharmacist by undergraduate training that went to business school. Yeah. But the, um, sort of my, my two, my two interests, um, you know, that, that really got me, uh, going in this direction, uh, well, one that, you know, I, Growing up, I was a, a big lover of you know science fiction and comic books and <laughs> everything that uh, you know the future and of, of humanity and people could be about. Uh, and combine that with the um, the fact that in at least down here in the U.S. in pharmacy school, they still gave me a couple semesters of uh, medicinal botany, uh, uh-huh. studying plants and everything that nature uh, creates for us uh, and all the wonderful medicines and so forth that have come from uh, the natural world. 
uh, and sort of, you know, this at this point in my career, I wanted to go a little bit beyond what I've been doing and sort of merge these two things together. And sort oh. of like how we we go back to nature and all sort of the superhuman capabilities of organisms that live here with us um, and sort of tap into that as humans. Um, so is it, it kind of like a things. weird cross between almost like a naturopathy and, and pharmaceuticals? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of um, looking at it a different way. Um, you know, and I guess most of the audience would be somewhat familiar with the fact that you know, even today, uh, you know, sort of 120 some odd years after the modern pharmaceutical industry was started, a majority of everything, I mean, the trillions of dollars that they make every year, not just with drugs, but also consumer products and things of this nature, you know, all had its start from the natural world. This is the plant kingdom primarily, but also, you know, bacteria and fungi and things like that. Um, but the really smart people will tell you that, you know, although they, we was going that distance, um, there's still a lot more out there. Uh, and it, when it comes to, you know, uh, regenerating limbs or uh, turning cancer into normal tissue or even sort of long-term life extension, which are things that many creatures are capable of, um, we need to sort of look at it again from a different angle and sort of say, okay, what if we, uh, we took, we did the first hundred years, we, we, we did a good job with plants. Um, and now we got to go a little bit beyond that and say, you know, how can we sort of mimic the knowledge that the salamander and the newt and the zebra fish and the starfish and all this have, uh, and create sort of new opportunities for, for us as humans to, sort of breakthrough <laughs> this time around. Yeah. 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 That makes, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Cause there is, I guess there is a whole untapped, untapped world in there. When you look at like, I'm fascinated by like the octopus too, how it's, how crazy smart it is and how it can camouflage itself in a split second and all that stuff. I mean, but I guess there is such a wide variety of things we can learn from, from species and biology. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, you know, we think of ourselves as the top of this, this food chain. And, you know, in certain ways we are, but at the end of the day, when it comes to uh, health, uh, you know, most creatures are more advanced than we are. So, you know, it, it's not, you know, we, we know about the, you know, the ability of, a, you know, the salamander to regenerate its spinal cord, but, you know, it, it's fully capable of, you know, regenerating limbs, heart, you know, eyeballs can be sliced out and even, you know, some large segments, if not you know, most of the brain, it'd be blown apart only to reform in perfect structure and function. Um, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, you have, you know, you have organisms that don't age, um, that can live thousands of years. You have some creatures that age in reverse. <laughs> and, and then you have a couple that even die technically and uh, are reborn. And, you know, you, you know, we as humans do not have these capabilities that we're very weak when it comes to accomplishing any of this stuff. Um, we're pretty good at you know, laying down scar tissue when we're, <laughs> when we're injured and uh, doing some minor DNA repair. But uh, these really big sort of possibilities uh, are there, and it's just a matter of learning again, or sort of going back to sort of what evolution has done so very well, um, and you know, copying it, uh, figuring out what happens. Have you come across anything that might have been like 
by design or nefarious or something like, I mean, cause sometimes I think, you know, there's these, these little kind of tricks we fall into about, you know, you know, humans have bad teeth, so we have to have fluoride in our water and, and toothpaste and all this stuff when, you know, if we probably just quit eating so much fucking sugar and shit, we'd probably be okay. And, you know, all this other stuff we're probably doing that's that's not okay. Like, do you find any of that in your line of work where it's like you're kind of combating the modern lifestyle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, um, you know, so I'll, I'll get questions uh, every now and then on sort of, you know, okay, what... Uh, You've been doing this now for a couple of years, you know, sort of give me some actionable advice. And most of the actionable advice still today <laughs> is is basically get a better idea of who we are as humans and start living, eating and drinking right. Because, uh, yeah, if you're drinking six Cokes a day and, uh, and here in Philadelphia eating you know, three cheesesteaks and smoking and doing everything, you know, you're doing something wrong. Um uh, you know, there's obvious things that, you know, high blood sugar is bad for us. Inflammation is bad for us. And, you know, there's there's sort of simple things that we could be doing today beyond the the obvious, you know, obviously exercise, get a good amount of sleep, stay out of the sun, all that business. But at the end of the day, uh, yeah, we mess up a lot. I, I guess we <laughs> I don't know if that's a function of, hey, you know, we we take our 70 to 80 years that we sort of naturally assume we're going to get and want to you know uh live at you know full throttle but yeah there's a lot of a lot of us miss the simple things and uh it's a pro that's a problem <laughs> needless to say um and you know we've only been around um technically a couple hundred thousand years but there's people species that have been here much longer than us uh and you know been through ice ages uh major extinction events and all that bit uh, and are doing just fine, and and we're having a hard time, <laughs> hard time dealing with uh, uh, yeah, even this couple hundred at a, years at a of level of comfort unknown to aristocrats, you know, a hundred fifty <laughs> years ago. <laughs> exactly. So when exactly. you guys were studying all these other organisms, like like you mentioned, um, regenerating limbs and these organisms that live, you know, hundreds or thousands of years, what's the uh, like how how does some of these things die? Like what's the end? What what's the thing that's causing you know death at, at some level of these things? Like and and how far are we from? I guess you know even improving on that. Yeah, I mean most of the so there's an, this underlying capability across species like this that basically um, have the ability, for lack of a better word, to sort of turn back time, turn back the genetic clock and start over. Uh, you know, that's how limbs are regenerated. It's how some of these species that get cancer and just get rid of it uh, nicely and, and, and easily and aren't killed by cancer do it. And it's how, you know, these 500,000 year species also deal with it. I mean, it's all about biological sort of immortality and life extension for them. It, obviously, physically, um, that's a problem. Environmentally. You know, as, yeah, as environmental, you know, an asteroid strikes and they're gone, they, they get stomped and so forth, um, <laughs> eaten by a predator. That you know, that's sort of you know what what we call sort of physical immortality, and there's very few 
uh, well, there's a couple things like the tardigrade, which, you know, these little uh, water bear species, they're, uh, you know, you can throw them out into space and they survive just fine. But um, most organisms, they like to thrive uh, on the on the nice little atmosphere that we have here uh, on the on the surface of the earth. But so uh, but for some of them, yeah, I mean, they have sort of mastered the ability to be here a long time biologically. Um, and. Uh, you know, while of course there may still be physical limitations, um, they do things a little better than us on on the other front. So that's uh, there's something there to learn. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. So how how can you explain a little bit about the technical process then about what you guys are are developing? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so we've you know we've been very uh, focused on. Um, the dynamic of how time is turned back in, in our cells. Um, it, it happens um, not that frequently in humans. Uh, the only place it ever really happens is sort of the moment that all of us are first conceived. Uh, so, you know, our parents age, you know, whatever they are, 35, 30, what have you, uh, they conceive us and, you know, nine months later, uh, we're born aged zero. Um, we have uh, no sort of the chronic diseases of older age when we're born. You know, there's no babies aren't born with Alzheimer's disease and so forth. And and we're not, you know, we, we come out for the most part pretty normal, you know, a head, two arms, two legs and so forth. Um, Still so seem to need an awful lot of shots, though. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I'll just yeah, leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, infectious disease thing we haven't uh, we haven't gotten that, that that perfectly yet. But for the most part, um, we're we're pretty uh, that point in time we're pretty good at uh, at turning back things and starting over. Um, a lot of our program has focused on the dynamic that occurs in the egg uh, at that specific time and what's going on. So the proteins, the peptides, the microRNA, and all the other interesting sort of biological stuff that is happening in the egg uh, that the female produces that takes that DNA and gets it ready to be a, a zero-year-old embryo and clean it up. And, 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 you know, the whole area of, and this is one of the things that, you know, as I've gotten more involved in this space and learned about sort of not just what is going on now, but sort of what we've known historically. And there's just so much fascinating biomedical literature that has just happened, you know, 50, 60 years ago. We just forget about it. But, you know, one example actually here in Philadelphia, uh, it happened back in the University of Pennsylvania back in the 70s, was this discovery that you could dump cancer cells into a developing embryo, um, not human, of course, but other mammals. And, and when the baby's born, it doesn't have cancer. Um, it somehow takes those cancer cells and erases their history and turns them into just normal tissue. And this is one of these fascinating things in sort of the history of biomedical research that we just forget about. Uh, it gets lost in sort of the scientific archives, but it's there. Seems <laughs> like a sketchy thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously done with rats and rats. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that. that's right, yeah. But, you know, they're mammals, we're mammals. And the fact, yeah, okay, there is this ability. There is this nascent ability to, in in this sort of embryonic stage, to really get rid of the stuff that's bad. Is there a stem cell <laughs> connection? Um, it's it's a stem cell connection, but it's 
it's a little it's more than that it's it's about the group of stem cells it's basically about the group of cells knowing somehow um what is important and what is not and what to get out uh, because it's, it's it's not just cancer. These experiments have been done with normal tissue, where you take the embryo and you throw in a piece of intestine, <laughs> and you don't have a baby or a baby rabbit born at the end of the day with a big piece of intestine hanging out of its head. You have <laughs> a normal rabbit. Uh, so it's very good at sort of organizing in the tissue and cells that it wants and getting rid of what it doesn't. And they've even done these experiments with viruses where they try to infect an embryo as it's growing, and you have the baby born virus-free. So there's a lot of exciting things that have been discovered in sort of the field of embryology, which is not a normal area for the sort of the pharmaceutical industry to be involved in. And maybe it's one of the reasons why I never saw much about it. But you sort of dive into this stuff and you realize, wow, you know, here's this whole concept of a regenerative system, whether it's a limb or an embryo, um, being able to start over, being able to erase the bad stuff, get rid of it, and start the process over again. And this is sort of one of those underlying things. We also see it in um, in, in regenerative organisms below mammals. So, you know, yeah, you have a, a group of salamanders or whatever that you give cancer to, um, and then two weeks later, they're cancer-free. Uh, and it's, you know, one of these things where, you know, I like to point out that everything on this planet, from humans to dogs to frogs and snakes and fish and trees, everything gets cancer, all right? Everything on this planet that lives gets cancer at some point. Um, but it's how the lower organisms deal with it, which is so fascinating, and how they just shrug it off and like to turn cancer cells into normal tissue as opposed to the way we deal with it, which is hammer away with trillions of dollars of chemotherapy and radiation and surgery and still die in you know, millions a year from this disease. So there's a lot to learn. Once, <laughs> once again, there's, there, there's a lot out there that uh, – we still have to sort of integrate and and uh, and sort of reintegrate with with what we do today. Huh. So, oh man. So, how did you? Um, I got a bunch of different questions, kind of you know, pharma related as well. But um, as far as the as far as the process goes, so so you guys are studying the the organisms and all that, and figuring out how to. How how would the whole process work? Like, if you found your ideal ideal solution, how would that work? Well, at the end of the day, from a from a strict sort of biopharmaceutical development perspective, we're developing biologics uh, that could do these types of regeneration and repair dynamics in humans, sort of administered as a traditional sort of biologic drug. And just sort of, for the audience, when I talk about a biologic drug, I'm talking about something that's typically protein-based, uh, more like a, a, a human growth hormone or an insulin or a vaccine as opposed to a synthetic drug, right, which is right. what's up in the lab somewhere. So we're primarily working with biologics, and, and, and a second level of what we do, uh, we, we term combinatorial biologic, which is basically a fancy way of saying we, we're mixing proteins uh, to have multiple effects. Because when it comes to, you know, if, if your arm gets chopped off and we want to regrow a new arm, it, it's not going to be a little white pill in a, in a bottle that you get from your pharmacy. It's, it's going to be a more complicated mixture of substances that are required to initiate a regeneration of something as complex as, as, a, as a limb. So when we talk about combinatorial biologics, we're talking about these types of mixtures. So ultimately, we're developing biologic drugs that 
can be specifically used and targeted for different tissues, whether it's for diabetes in the pancreas or spinal cord injury uh, or congestive heart failure. Uh, and, and most of what we're doing is more along the traditional biologic development. We're not doing any uh, genetic engineering uh, or complex tissue engineering, nothing of that nature, uh, because you know one of the, the the more interesting things is you know people will ask us you know well why, why don't you do some genetic engineering and engineer some of these capabilities into the human genome and we say well that's not the path because well, what we discovered ultimately wasn't as much our discovery as it was a about sort of human genome research is that when it came down to it. Uh, as, it, as wonderful as those 25,000 genes are that we discovered in the human genome 20 years ago, uh, most other species are exactly the same as us. I know we're 99.2% we're chimpanzee and we're 98% rattlesnake and 92% pufferfish and all this. Yeah, isn't so, it like over 85% for like everything on the planet? It's, 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 it's higher. It, we're, we're so similar. It's, 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 Freaky. And, you, know, you just have to look at the gills and the tails and the and the webbed feet that we have when we're when when we were after we're conceived. To understand the dolphins, sort of the, yeah, the dolphins <laughs> that used to be wolves. <laughs> There's a lot of conservation in the genome. So well, I think we still have gills, right? Humans still have gills at some point. Yeah, we the... have them in, in the first couple months. Yeah. we do. Yeah. Wow. That That's survive. just a trick, though. That's just test your face. <laughs> have you ever? Have you ever heard of this this Russian scientist, uh, Dr. Peter Garyev? And he discovered that DNA yeah. absorbs light light photons photons in its surrounding area and causes them to spiral through the molecule itself. And that effect will continue in the same spot for like thirty days. He calls it the DNA phantom. Um, I know Garyev. I know his work. Um, I'm, you know. <laughs> It's interesting, and you know, one, you know, we're called BioQuark, and people say, "Why well, you name yourself an odd thing like that?" <laughs> uh, and, and the German people will say, "You know, you named yourself after a, a cheese <laughs> that we that we sell here in Germany." But aside from that, um, it, we wanted to get uh, something that that portrayed the sort of the mix or the the merging of biology and physics. So you know, quarks sound kind of cool because they're a cool subatomic particle. But getting back to Garyev and that type of work. We're all for that, and we think it's fascinating, and it's true when you look at um, the fact that ultimately, while we're biologic and we're you know we're these living entities made of tissue and so forth, at the low level, you know what are we? We're electricity, we're electromagnetism, uh, we're all this interesting, you know, physical activity, uh, and. In between that, cells and DNA are really conduits uh, for moving that information around. That's why you see, uh, aside from work like Arab, you have you know big pharmaceutical companies now. My former employer, uh, GlaxoSmithKline, has created this whole area. They call it electroceuticals, right? So they're basically saying, yeah, all a drug is in essence doing is taking an electrical signal and moving it from one place to another with it's sort of as carrier. Well, why don't we just get the drug out of the way? Uh, and just do it with a an electrical signal. So, um, yeah, I mean, there is a lot that goes on at the level of DNA, at the level of uh, cell networks and tissue networks um, that has to do with electric magnetic signaling. Uh, it's a fact. I mean, and look at the data that, you know, recently, I mean, the astronauts that were up in the space station, I mean, we're learning it's not just the electricity and electromagnetism that swirls around our bodies, but hey, 
you're up there in the space station for a year, you, you're getting all sorts of interesting physical signals, whether it's low gravity or the Earth's magnetic field or solar flares from the sun. Uh, yeah, our body processes a lot more uh, than just the biologic stuff. It's uh, it's a conduit for much more uh, information. So yeah, all that with regard to phantom information, uh, the whole area of that, you know, telegony, which he researches, you know, the ability, you know, this, this, this phenomena that, you know, a woman can have a, a sexual partner, and then uh, after the <laughs> the second sexual partner, they give birth, and it the baby looks strangely like the first one. Oh yeah, I've heard about that. But yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of weird things that are reported on on these, and you can't explain them just with the with DNA, because the, hey, the DNA is not there <laughs> at that point. Hopefully, <laughs> but yeah. Um, hopefully, so. These. Otherwise, yeah. you got to start yeah. asking some questions. Yeah, well, exactly. the, the other part of the study that, that that just for our listeners who haven't heard of this guy, it says uh, he also shined a gentle laser beam through a developing salamander embryo and redirected it into a developing frog embryo. And it, yeah. apparently the frog embryo completely recoded itself with the instructions to build a healthy adult salamander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, you know, it's all so-called epigenetics. Uh, the chemicals and the little modifications, and you can easily affect them with electricity and a magnetism and light. Um, you, want, you want something a little creepier? Go look at the well, not a creepy. I like the guy a lot. Uh, go look at Mike, <laughs> Michael Levin's lab at Tufts University. I mean, he he did a similar thing, and he he basically took the tails of these frogs and he created eyeballs <laughs> that grew in the tails and saw. So, <laughs> so yeah, you can. There's a lot of weird, not weird, but very interesting ways beyond the biologic uh, that you can send information and have it impact the genome and yield some type of <laughs> event. Um, and eyeballs in frog tails was one of the things that they recently did and published one. So, um yeah. Oh, that's kind of creepy. Yeah. Creepy. It just, I don't know. It makes me wonder what's Was happening. Self aware? What's happening underground now? Like, or what's happening, you know, that's not in the commercial, the commercial world. I mean, you guys are tapping into all this stuff and there's all these other things going on. I mean, do you think that, you know, is, is, is somebody taking this type of technology uh, deeper and playing around with it? I don't think there's. Um, there's a lot going on, um, like synthetic biology, or like the, you know some of the 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 stories you hear about, um, you know that we're farther ahead making fake aliens than you would think. You know, not to get too deep into conspiracies, but uh, you know it seems to be kind of right along these lines in a way. Yeah, I mean, my position on all that is that. Um, most of the things that they want to do with something like synthetic biology, uh, and for the audience that isn't aware, sort of synthetic biology is sort of the generic use of biologic systems to create unnatural or Soft things that they don't kinda. normally produce. And, you know, while in some ways, sorry, some of the things that we do can be thought of as synthetic biology, uh, on the light end of the spectrum. On the other end, you have, you know, folks like Craig Venner and, and, and what have you creating, you know, 
chromosomes that do not exist or have never existed, or you know they want to send you know a little DNA machine to Mars and then they send a signal there and they pop out a little you know the first bacteria on Mars. Um, yeah, I mean all that stuff is I guess feasible and interesting. Um, but then I point out that at the same time, you know, on this planet we have organisms that natural organisms that, you know, like to swim around in radioactive waste and live there very happily. Uh, we have organisms, like I mentioned, the tardigrade, which, you know, you could put that thing near a nuclear explosion and it won't die. Um, it'll, you know, brush yeah, it those up. Little, those little things that live down by the volcanic vents at the bottom of the ocean, exactly. like the pressures, those exactly. things, the heat and the pressure down there exactly. should be enough to, like, kill anything and everything. Exactly. I wonder and if you yeah, brought you know, it up to the surface, if it would just expand into like a basketball-sized microorganism. Probably. <laughs> we wouldn't get it up well, there. suffering quite a bit. But... <laughs> and then, you know, you have these bacteria that, you know, gen you know, generate electricity and the ones that digest plastic. And I say, you know, there's quite a few aliens <laughs> here already um, that I think personally are much more interesting than anything we could create via shuffling around the... Uh, <laughs> New genes and then creating some, something from scratch. Um, that's just my opinion. Yeah, well, maybe the opinion. last civilization was busy. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> right before they got hit by a rock, they made all this crazy shit. Could be. Could be. Left it around for us to find. So after all, after all this, these decades in in different uh, sectors of the pharmaceutical industry, and now you, you know you're. The CEO of this company that's really trying to get to the healing and regenerative part of of us. Um, did, was, was there a shift at all in your in your career, or I mean, have you seen even in your thinking? You know, I mean, in your thinking, because I mean, you know, sort of farmers getting the the uh, the the rep that you know it's just like like you say in one of your one of your stories instead of. Um, just trying to cover up all the damage that we're doing with cancer and all this other stuff. It's like, you know, a trillion dollar industry of, of just putting on band-aids kind of, and you're, you have care instead of cure. So is, was there a shift there at all for you or did you always, were you always sort of more interested in this side of it? I mean, I, I was always interested in, you know, I, I, once I, I, I sort of think by my, my the comic book mentality and doing something a little, outside the box yeah, yeah um but you know just being there I mean, look i have you know, i have friends that still work there and colleagues that spend you know yeah. an entire career in big pharma and they love it and they you know they are excited by selling the next cholesterol lowering drug or the next you know arthritis painkiller and all this bit uh and that's fine and they love doing that but that that wasn't for me um it was boring and and you have to after a while, you have to realize, as you, you, know, you just pointed out, yeah, we spend a, a trillion dollars on drugs alone nowadays around the world, about half of that, half a trillion from the U.S. We spend an additional $200 billion every year uh, on new R&D. And despite all that, uh, we keep dying. <laughs> we're, we suffer. We're, 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 we keep dying of the same stuff. The prevalence of all chronic degenerative diseases keep going, chugging along. Up, going up. Uh, yeah. And, and most of them are, you know, are going up. We have this ongoing growth and aging of the population. Um, and so there's an imbalance there. And, you know, people always say, oh, wow, you know, you're hiding this or that. And, and I say, no, it, it's, it's not as sort of, <laughs> it's not as, as, 
as difficult as that. It's basically an industry that has been operating for the last hundred years combined with its regulators and with its sort of investors uh, as sort of a group that can only do one thing. They're very good at creating what I call uh, things for output, sort of genomic output, so symptoms. Um, you know, there is basically seven things, inflammation and immune response and cell death and cell proliferation, these, these seven categories that represent $1 trillion. That's all they're good at. And when it comes to disease, basically the things that are, are upstream, so you know, the pain from your rheumatoid arthritis isn't—that's not your rheumatoid arthritis. That's a symptom. Rheumatoid arthritis is upstream of that. Mm -hmm. It is a much more complicated thing. Um, and people say, "Well, just then, just create cure. Why can't they just create cures instead?" I say, "No, it it it, it doesn't work that way. It's it's not like asking you know, Ford or Mercedes or Toyota to instead of making an internal combustion engine to make an electric car. It's like asking them to make a." A, a you know a trans a portal or say it's it's very different <laughs> than they're two very different things and so in my opinion I think that we're basically going to have two industries um, in the near future you're going to have one that's totally centered on just creating symptomatic stuff and then you're going to have one that looks decidedly different that is going to be creating things that you know, turn back time and erase disease and regenerate. Um, Will there be some crossover? Yeah, because the one thing that big pharma is good at is marketing. Uh, you know, they got rid of manufacturing back in the 70s and 80s. They got rid of a lot of their sales forces, and a lot of them have gotten rid of R&D. So, so basically, there are these huge shells of marketing. Um, and you know, when you have 80, 90, 100 billion dollars in revenue, and you're promising Wall Street 10% top line growth. It's got to come from. It's not going to come from more cholesterol-lowering drugs. More That's statins. not going to do it. More statins and all that bit. So there's going to be something different. I mean, so they pushed themselves into a corner where they got to now think hey, we we have to do something different in the coming years, or we're we're fucked. Um, in other words, buy, in other change. words, buy BioCork. <laughs> So what happens? Right. What yeah, happens when you, that when that day pressure? comes? Yeah. Like, is there pressure from you to because you're, you know, potentially on the leading edge of the second, you know, industry of turning back time and regenerating? So I mean, there must be some concern over that from that their point of view. You you and my, other companies, no? Yeah, I mean, my my own experience, sort of being on the other side of the table, is the concern will come um, when we are. Uh, Sort of when the big clinical, you know, when, when you the start affecting their bottom line, is what's going to happen when people it, stop it, it, getting this or that because you fixed it. Yeah, I mean, it typically, you know, it, it will come before that. It'll come when the data from the clinical trials, the sort of the big pivotal studies, come in. When all of a sudden you have five thousand patients that, oh, uh, they're not going to have to have dialysis because we've regenerated their kidneys to an extent, or they're not needing this transplant drug anymore. And then, you know, you'll get okay, the kid, you know, as an example, the kidney market is $60 billion a year. You pull that rug out, you know, you're taking $60 billion away from transplant drugs and dialysis. That's a problem. Now, so yes, that will be, but today, not as much. I, I think they have the eye on what's going on. As I said, I, I, I'm on both sides of the fence in the sense I, I do this, but at the same time, I have my friends and my contacts and I keep abreast on what's going on in the industry. Um, yeah, I... How long do you think that process takes? Because, you know, 
I'm trying to think of where who I was just listening to an interview with uh, with a doctor that's treating. Uh, I guess what it ab, what it breaks down to is hormone deficiency, but what it's being treated as is depression and all these other things and these these soldiers coming back from war. And he's talking about how the science that the hormone replacement can. I mean, they're talking about 91 percent success rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's talking about how this this the science has been reproducible and in their literature for almost, you know, 20 or 30 years now, but it's, and he doesn't even fault the medical community. It's just, it's, he's like, it's not their business to know about this yet. And he's, he's, he figures it's going to take another, you know, 20 years before this, this hormone replacement therapy that's, you know, stopping people from killing themselves and absolutely changing people's lives you know, and we're, it's been in the literature for 20 years and it's going to be another 20 years before we actually maybe see it on any sort of large scale. Do you, do you foresee any, any of those? Yeah. It's Dr. Mark Gordon. That's who it was. Yeah. Right. Right. No, I'm familiar with that. Um, no, I think that would be more of a 1990s fear. I think nowadays things are changing so much, um, not just with sort of the dynamic that's in place with with what sort of pharma needs <laughs> a lot sooner than they used to. But um, the fact that just, you know, half the industry, half the trillion is represented by eight companies, you know, half of them or so are United States based. Um, but the U.S. is just one country. And what the dynamic is now is, um, and, and it used to be a niche, uh, but now you see it becoming a much more of, of the standard, is uh, while the pharmaceutical industry used to ignore the so-called rest of world uh, and only focus on the U.S. and maybe a couple countries in Western Europe and, and Japan, you can't ignore that anymore per the smart people. Um, if you just look at what Merck, fifth largest drug company in the world, did a couple months ago with the government of China, they did it quietly, but it's in the news, um, where they basically said, hey, come to China, and we have a little island set up for Merck. And you can, if any type of cancer you have, you can come try our experimental therapies on this little island. Uh, sort of this concept of medical tourism, which used to be a niche. But now you have you know, the fifth largest drug company in the world that's saying, you know what? I'm not going to look at the U.S. for this right now. I'm going to go elsewhere, and I'm going to set up the system elsewhere faster. And more effectively. And you have this whole dynamic uh, of globalizing both medical training and research. And so you see things like, you know, Harvard Medical School setting up in Dubai or well, Cornell Medical Center in Qatar or even you know, Newcastle University of UK in Malaysia. And you're beginning to say, wow, we have a lot of really smart sort of first world educated folks now that are operating clinical research all over the world. Um, and there's an and on top of that, this major sort of well, I think the number is like 70 or 80 billion dollars of procedural medical travel. Now, the research basin is much bigger now. It's not just the handful of these companies in the U.S. It's everywhere. And as I said, the smart people will tell you, you know, we're taking the same path. Um, if you can get something done in five years in the U.S., but hey, you can get it done in three years in Thailand or Turkey or Panama or any other country that has some very good people now working there. Um, it's going to happen faster and it's going to happen elsewhere. So 
I think the dynamic is really moving in a in our favor to get these things uh, quicker and and not sort of covered up as they may have once been in the 1980s and 1990s. That's my opinion. Oh, that's interesting. So so back to the question of the 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 big buyout. So it happens when the data from all the clinical trials starts pouring in and they really realize you're onto something and then they come knocking on your door. What do you do? We'll, we'll see what happens then and, and, and what, and what position they're in. Maybe we'll, maybe our stock will be valuable enough that we'll buy one of them to, uh, as a marketing arm, who knows? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't trying to be, you know, it's just, I'm, I guess I'm more interested in the philosophy behind like, would would you do it if if you, if your technology was at a risk of being just shoved underground and not be, you know, like to me that's always the risk about whether it's free energy or um, new medicine and you know cancer cures or whatever that whenever right. you know you hear about all these stories about stuff that gets just bought out and then just stifled. So right, I, I think it's less possible nowadays. I'll tell you why, um, because most of the powers that be of those eight companies have done so poorly in many of their sort of so-called therapeutic units. And they use, you know, a company use, you know, whatever Pfizer, I think they may have had, you know, had 15 different therapeutic units from pulmonary to endocrinology to cancer, but they've done so poorly, they're cutting them back. So even the giant companies, as large as they are, only have a few segments that they cover. So it's probably unlikely that a big farm, you know, if we do well in, uh, you know, kidney regeneration, it's much more likely that we'll do a nice deal with somebody that specializes in the kidney, um, like a Baxter as an example. And then we move our research program onto the spinal cord and we can do a spinal cord deal a couple of years after that with, you know, a Medtronic. I mean, these are just examples. But so basically by a specialty category. So there's not just one giant entity that'll come along. And yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think there, the, the companies aren't like that anymore, um, fortunately or unfortunately. Like last, last uh, like five, ten years, say, or yeah, I mean, most of them. If you go, if you if you sort of follow the, um, you know, the annual reports and the news, a lot of them are peeling back everything. I mean, they, you know, they're, they've been so bad at uh, infectious disease research, they got rid of that. They they did poorly with oncology, so they're not doing. And a lot of things, they're the big names. They're just you know saying, hey, we're going to specialize in these three things. Right. Um, yeah. Core neurology. Yeah. 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 Uh, even for a large company, it's you know it's unfortunately what they have to do. I mean, they're <laughs> so uh, M and A only got them so far. Research only got them so far. Uh, and so these are, you know, the unfortunate, you know, dynamics that you see nowadays. But um, I think we're going to be in a pretty decent position to uh, to negotiate from a, a position of strength, at least at that point. That's good. Um, more than we would in the in the 1990s, let's say. And you guys are focusing on on kidney as far part of a first uh, a first go kind of thing. Yeah, we we have really three major targets. One. Uh, most of all metabolic, but the kidney is our is our focus there, and um, and we'll look at that as sort of our regeneration focus. And people say, well, that's not the heart and it's not the brain, but we say, huh, we yes, we have two kidneys, but at the end of the day, it's a it's a sixty billion dollar market. It only has two outcomes um, in terms of transplant or dialysis, and the kidney is made up of many little diseases. So we are 
with the kidney, we'd be able to go after a so-called orphan indication, huh. uh, small amount of patients, but nonetheless move it and fast track it through development as opposed to uh, a more popular or larger organ. So we're focused on that. Uh, we are very interested in oncology, specifically from this angle of not how we kill a tumor anymore, but how we change it and how we turn cancerous tissue into normal tissue, uh, which is the second focus. And then the most important uh, in our perspective, sort of the big, the really big picture is the central nervous system. Um, not just because it is just so unmet today, but you know everyone will tell you and everything you read nowadays about the big problems that we're facing as much as the heart and cancer kill us, this tsunami, they say, of Alzheimer's that is coming um, in the next 10 years is scary. Oh, it's, it's going to get even it's, worse. It's really bad. Wait till the and, fucking vaccine, yeah. vaccine schedule catches up. <laughs> yeah. I, I predict that, yeah, in like 30, 40 years, we're going to be seeing a huge amount of autoimmune disorders. And hopefully you guys are around to start helping people out. Yeah. That's 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 what we're, we're interested in it. But um, are you yeah, kind of are you kind of predicting that same thing that it's going to keep going in the directions it's going? Let's just say when it comes to these diseases that uh, there is a, a major upstream problem. And when I say upstream, I mean that we we studied so much of like the output of the disease. We know like there's this plaque in the brain in Alzheimer's, but we we know now that. There's many stuff, things happening upstream that is causing this. Uh, it's not just if the plaque doesn't come out of the air. It, there's things happening beforehand that lead down that path. When it comes to diseases where we have very little understanding of what the primary cause is, especially as you mentioned, autoimmune disease, 60 million autoimmune <laughs> patients here in the U.S. alone, uh, and we only focus on on the output. We have no understanding today. We've a kindergarten style understanding of the true causes of these diseases. Yes, these are major <laughs> problems that aren't going to go away overnight. Um, and so, yeah, our strategy, uh, and we think it's you know, it's going to have to become the main strategy of everybody is how you interfere upstream and deal with the underlying causes and biologic processes as opposed to just the symptoms and uh and the output uh, or else we'll be in the same problem as we are today yeah so i, I have a question about the kidneys because i and i'm wondering since you guys are focusing on that one thing i just happened to I, you know had to go to the doctor uh so i had like ultrasound in the kidneys and they're doing this like one of my doctors says, well, there's some measurements here that could mean that your kidneys aren't functioning, you know, a hundred percent or whatever. So I ended up getting referred to a kidney specialist. I was in there for a long interview with the guy. He was surprised I was in there not being on any pharmaceuticals already. Like that was the first sort of red flag for him. He's like, well, why, you know, why are you here? And he went through all the questionnaire and all, and for the most part, you know, pretty healthy. And he couldn't really see why I had a problem with my kidneys or even if I did, um, because, and it seemed to be like, not very, not very scientific. Like he couldn't really, and he's like, you know, a kidney specialist, like he, he was retiring this year and this is his whole, this whole gig, but, and I, I'm going to try and I can't really articulate it properly, but there was a couple measurements and, you know, because they were both at this level that it seems like my kidneys might not be functioning a hundred percent and there's no way to get that back. So you have to sort of maintain where you're at right now as a best case scenario. 
but it didn't seem scientific to me. It really felt like, you know, they couldn't really tell. It was just because these other two numbers were in a certain order. And, and then it all came down, like, you know, we were talking about lifestyle changes and stuff like that. And I was talking about supplements that I, that I take and like, um, like amino acid, uh, mm-hmm. amino acid drinks and like, sort of like, you know, I, my protein levels are probably too high. And I like, that's the one thing he was like, well, you should probably, you know, cut that out maybe come back and see if, if things change or whatever. So, I mean, you know, the whole discussion ended up being like, I should just stop drinking, you know, workout supplements. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Especially looking at kidneys. And, I have one. Stop drinking workout <laughs> supplements. Stop drinking all those workout supplements. It, it, I, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm laughing because I have you know, the one thing I I, uh, uh, I inherited from my parents was a slightly elevated blood pressure. So I've been I've been on blood pressure meds for the last ten years, and I see a nephrologist too. Um, and yes, it's a, it's the same type of thing. I go in, I get my readings. Uh, you know, uh, you're doing fine, and, and they walk out. And there and there, yes, there seems to be a very, um, uh, I'd say, not lack of seriousness, but just a, um, there is a limit, I guess, to you know, sort of the state of nephrology or neph- basic nephrology care, and then sort of what happens when one goes over uh, a cliff and goes downhill rapidly with some type of acute damage and yeah. and disease progression. Um, yeah, I mean, when you think that everything that we eat, drink, breathe, uh, ultimately gets filtered through them, the kidneys, uh, yeah, uh, there's a million <laughs> things it could technically be. I mean, your blood, uh, our blood right now at any given point in time has something like 4,000 xeno, xeno, biotic substances floating around in it, whether it's the foods we eat or the drugs we take or the air we breathe. Um, yeah, we don't know. I, you know. Who knows what's affecting the kidney? <laughs> but it sounds like in your case, you're drinking too much protein. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know how it, drink those things anyway, look at though. this it's thing horrible. is like fucking neon blue. No, it's, I'm not not a protein, a it's not a protein shake. It's just, it's just like, just sometimes I, and it's not very often. I just have like this, you know, amino acid drink that kind of gives you a little bit of is energy and helps cognitively. <laughs> and it, you know, helps build muscle a little bit. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm into it all the time, but, but, um, so I guess, but what he's saying about it not being fixable, like it's it's just going to get worse as I age, basically, is one of the reasons why you're you're focusing on this thing as well, probably, right? No, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're the critical organs, and no, they, um, while they have minor, let's say, uh, regenerative capability. Uh, you know, if, if you look at the the one thing that we do have some recovery from is, is in the liver. Um, and but that's mainly an acute damage. You know, God forbid you're stabbed in the liver tomorrow. It regenerates in a certain way. Um, and it's probably the only major organ that we have. That, I thought, I thought know, the lungs were like, uh, pretty insanely capable of repairing the, the things we throw in there on a daily basis, you know, whether it's the, the membrane. So sort of yeah, the lining, but not the, sort of the deeper tissue. Um, yeah, so that's a uh, that's an area where we have some physiological turnover in the lining of the lungs, but uh, sort of like the gut uh, and and the skin. But no, um, the only organ that we have that has any sort of proxy that where we you know, 
if you lose part of it, it will try to grow to a decent size and, and take over function as the human liver. Um, we have a little bit of that in the kidney, but the kidney is a pretty complex three-dimensional organ that if it's damaged, it's, it's hard to recover from it uh, just naturally. Hmm. Well, if you need a test subject, uh, I'll... Uh, keep you in mind. I'll, yeah, keep me in mind. I'll, I'll do some research. So. We'll ship them down to you. <laughs> We'll rent them to you. I'll give you a good good rate. Are you guys up to speed on the on the fasting research about how um, how that seems to be really important in curing cancer and doing all kinds of you know regeneration of cells or at least like recycling your cells? Yeah, the um, you know um, low calorie or sort of dietary you know calorie restriction. Um, is definitely sort of the one area that um, has shown a lot of promise in terms of, as mentioned, not just rejuvenation, but the sort of this autophagy, the ability to digest and get rid of junk and uh, sort of less fit cells. Um, the only problem is it's damn hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't, I, I, I tried it one day, I almost killed myself. It just, it, it's, let's just say it doesn't work for me. Um, because I could never do it. Um, but it's definitely one of the things that is um, reported on at least a decent amount to have some biologic uh, story behind it and make sense. And when it comes down to things like cancer, yeah, you can starve and cancer cells starve too. And if you can do that and do it properly there can definitely be some benefit i just found it uh really impossible and there's people that you know do it every week and i i don't don't get it um so yeah if if there's possibilities to mimic some of that yeah um, with with small molecule drugs at some point i think you know they're testing out some uh more sort of approved uh drugs like a diabetic drug known as metformin for a similar effect you know, that, that's great. Um, it's just, I, I, I can't fast. I love to eat. I love food. Yeah. I did. I tried to do two day one the other day and I made it to like 40 hours on my head. My, I had a huge headache. <laughs> I, it depends on like, I would have been better doing it four months ago when I was a little healthier. I probably could have done it a little better, but yeah, it's just, I think I was having a, either a coffee, no eating or no or nothing, sugar detox, nothing like water, water, just water. So I want to try it again. Cause get you. Yeah, might be a caffeine headache. I don't know. Yeah. So um so what can you can you uh explain a little bit more about how you guys do your you would do some of get get some of the data from your clinical studies and what that would look like to to make sure that there's no adverse long-term effects and and maybe a little bit more about the kind of like the scientific process of um how how this would work. I kind of I kind of didn't catch all that the first time you answered that. Yeah, no, from 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 a drug development perspective, and we we have to go through you know your traditional uh, sort of FDA process, phase one, phase two, and phase three. So uh, we would be uh, like any other company, uh, a phase one study where we were doing you know long term dose escalation, where you basically take healthy humans and you slowly but surely escalate them on doses of the drug over time and study all sorts of biologic parameters, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, which is you know, moves to phase two, um, where you study small populations of individuals with 
specific condition. And phase three is the larger uh, efficacy studies. But the main, the main purpose of phase three, and people think of efficacy, but you know efficacy pretty well in phase two. Phase three is really for long-term uh, safety uh, because you know this is one of the big problems that you know, drug companies never see, even you know, when they do phase three studies, you know, they, a, a drug can look great after studying it for a year, but you know, then you have five years down the road and you have a lot of people you know, getting sick um, because you just don't see those chronic problems over time. Um, with us, uh, we're in a somewhat unique position in the sense that regeneration, at least in some of these tissues, is not a long-term process. Right. Uh, we're not talking about, you know, you're not going to be on something that we produce for five years. Uh, you might be on something for a month. Right. Uh, so our studies are going to be distinctly different. Uh, you know, as, as I said at the beginning, we're not going to be creating a little pill that you take the rest of your life. Um, these are very targeted for specific organ and, and tissue needs. So, yeah, most of our program will be very conventional along those lines. Um now, some of what we're doing as well um, has to do with uh, drug delivery. So uh, how you get uh, a material into a spinal cord and into a lesion in the spinal cord uh, to get somebody out of a wheelchair is going to be different than how you get it into uh, the heart um, or the kidney. So there will be differences in drug delivery vehicles. Uh, and that whole area, that the whole science to itself. But our core clinical program, with the exception of skin care, and that's something else, uh, is, is very traditional. Um, traditional drug development, no genetic engineering, no unique yeah, things that the body's never seen before. Do you, uh, so here's one before we wrap up here. Where do, if everything goes uh, perfectly, where do you guys see yourself in 10 years? Where would you like to be in 10 years? Oh, 10 years, uh, I see us uh, having uh, a couple different indications, so approved already, so registered indications, preferably in the human kidney uh, and preferably in the spinal cord injury uh, area. Uh, we also are, uh, you know, we have two other things we're doing besides the, the traditional drug development. We we have a consumer product focus as well because there's just been a lot of interest because, you know, we focus on tissue regeneration and, and aging. There's a huge skincare market that is very interested in sort of utilizing some of what we're doing on the drug side, but more in the, the cosmetic and uh, beauty space. So that's, that's something else that will be, you know, preferably, um, you know, Having moved in ten years, move forward substantially, and that could help support some of the uh, the drug work. And then, lastly, we we are partnering up with hospitals and clinics and other groups outside of the U.S. Because, as mentioned, we we can't ignore the rest of the world uh, in in the current model today. And there's just there's just so much going on, especially you know, the U.S. lost uh, a lot of time a few years ago with all the embryonic stem cell problems and genetic engineering issues when a lot of things went on hold for. A decade, uh, and other countries just leapfrogged us. Um, and so, there's a lot of countries out there with advanced research going on, and, and we're partnering everywhere. So, um, who do you think is at the head of the curve? I think there's a lot going on in Asia that uh, um, is is many years ahead of of where we are right now. And not just China. Uh, China did, and then the China government deal with America is pretty interesting. But you have a whole, you know, Thailand is a, is a Thailand has been uh, 
sort of building up as a center for stem cell research <laughs> for a couple of decades now. A long time ago, they saw the light uh, down in Southeast Asia. Um, uh, Turkey is a very big in the Middle East. Um, and, and Panama here in, in, in Central America has also sort of liberalized a lot of the work in regenerative medicine. So I think you're going to see some very interesting ex-U.S. pockets of of research coming online, uh, centers of sort of excellence in, in this space that uh, you wouldn't have thought of a couple uh, years ago. What did, what did you say happened to the U.S. in the last? It, what, was it about a decade there where things got uh, shut down, or just well, what, was it over the, over regulation, or what? Yeah, you had you know you had several years there where there was a lot of the big political fighting going on with regard to embryonic stem cell research right. and clo- and cloning, yeah. which. But, you know, which I'm not a fan of in the sense, not, not for religious reasons, because I just don't, they're not my technologies, but I understand them. And I think they're, you know, but nonetheless, you, so you lost not just sort of this, the, the time surrounding embryonic research, but you also lost a lot of time with regard to cloning, which we're not, I'm interested in cloning, but the things you can learn from turning back time yeah. in cloning research is extremely important. Yeah. And lastly, you had some deaths uh, in early genetic engineering research in the U.S., there's one here in University of Pennsylvania that basically shut down gene therapy for many years, uh, a lot of the progress. Now you see it coming back, but it, it didn't slow things down elsewhere. Um, so, Well, especially um, at the time where technology was de- uh, developing so fast, probably. Right, yeah. yeah. Huh. So I think it's it's uh you know the skincare thing is interesting because I, I have a sense and I've never really we've never really looked into this but you know w- women seem to have more of a um chronic American a, a chronic um like they they seem to have more chronic issues like whether it's um you know like fibromyalgia type stuff or inflammation and all this and I wonder if the chemicals and and all the cosmetics and all the stuff they do compared to us really affects that you know and it'd be nice to have some you know biological or more Natural skincare. You're just digging a deeper <laughs> hole, buddy. <laughs> you don't think there's something to that? Nope, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of that is, interestingly enough, is uh, uh, is viral, um, and you know that's one area that is ignored. Although you know they understand the reason why there's such a you know a three to one ratio of of women to men in the autoimmune space is much is more to do with viral integration in the genome um and it's just that's something that we haven't really looked at for ever uh (laughs) we we see you see little pockets in the virology space talk about it but um no i i I think there's going to be a lot more to be learned there and it's just unfortunately sort of uh, viral antiviral research has you know it was it was hot for for a while with HIV, but it just is not. I think there should be a lot more happening there to understand because you know, hey, we're all. I think the current number is I think all of us are about uh, nine nine percent virus right now. Right, all the DNA in our body, nine percent of it is not human; it's viral. Wow. So, well, <laughs> there's a lot of us, and, and on top of that, we have about a hundred trillion uh, microbes that live in us. So, we're much more than ourselves. Um, and we probably should dive much more into that whole area of, of research in the coming years. Wow. There you go. There you have it. <laughs> Is there any place our listeners can track you down or follow you or anything like that if they want to learn more or kind of follow you along? 
Yeah, I mean, not come to the website. Not a creepy sort of way, but... No, hey, look, I, I'm uh, I'm fairly open. Uh, people can you know contact the company, contact me directly. Um, I, I love talking about what we do because I'm, I'm fairly passionate about it. And, uh, you know, as someone that's been around and, and been on sort of both sides of the table, yeah. I... Um, I want to get the uh, the truth and the wisdom and, and the knowledge out there. So feel free to reach out anytime to the BioQuark website, learn about our programs, learn about what we have going on with our partnerships, ask questions. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I love how open you are about it, and uh, it's great to, to have you on the show. Do you think there's – is there anything else you want to mention before we, uh, before we let you go? Yeah, just that um, – you know, although my this industry may be considered, you know, boring or uh, evil or, you know, <laughs> always promising things that are 30 years away, um, we are sort of in striking distance with regard to uh, some really major benefits to humanity. And whether it's, you know, the 100,000 people that die every day of aging or whether it's the 50,000 that we lose every day due to trauma, uh, it's well within our intellectual capacity to solve many of the issues that seemed unsolvable just a couple decades ago. That's great, man. Yeah. It gives us hope and hopefully it, you know, makes it down to the plebs and it's not just for the elites in the world. And, you know, like there's obviously a big fear about that as well, that we're going to be splitting up into, you know, and, and a group of humans that are kind of turning into, um, you know, the singularity and cyborgs and all this utilizing technology. And then another group that are, uh, Graham's still down here crushing workout <laughs> drinks. What, what, one thing I can confidently say about what we're doing, uh, because it's along the lines of traditional biologics, yeah. none of this, none of this is going to be out of the reach of anybody. The, 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 nothing we're doing is, you know, a million dollars a dose or any of this crazy stuff you read about in the news with genetic engineering and all this other stuff. This is, if you, could, you know, people can afford drugs today, they'll be able to afford what we're doing today. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So. Don't fear that uh, this is not just for the the ultra wealthy. That's great, man. Thanks. Yeah, keep in touch and on, honestly, let me know about your uh, your kidney research and if you need somebody up in Canada and uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll we'll keep an eye on your stuff. I'll reach out. Right Wonderful. on, buddy. Thanks for coming. Thanks on. so much for having me. You're welcome. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. That was a chat with the uh, IRS pastor of BioQuark. Yeah, that was fun. That was a good one. It's a good one. Hopefully, uh, hopefully some of that stuff can pan out for him. Fix your kidneys up for you. Yep. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Oh, what are you, 10 years clean? No, I like how open he was. Uh, yeah, 10 years coming up in a couple months. Yeah. I like how open he was about, you know, I asking celebrate him some... your 10 years of sobriety by sneaking some mushrooms in your <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Graham's gone off the rails. Just make sure you record it, eh? Yeah, uh, the last episode of Graham. It's my America. only request if I ever, you know, relapse on psychedelics. I want it recorded. The last episode of Graham America. We <laughs> haven't found him. He's gone. <laughs> Where in the world? Yeah, big thanks to Ira for coming on the show. Yeah, Do no, check I like out his he, work. He was answering all the, you know, the big pharma stuff and all that. And he I, did, you know, he he did a pretty really... good job of tiptoeing around the vaccine one, but that's okay. That's okay, yeah. yeah. Well, because his might be dosed in a vaccine, right? So, I mean, I was thinking IV or he something. Brushed it off. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay, though. He's a good sport. So big thanks. Check out his stuff, guys. Uh, while you're on the interwebs, do head over to grimerica.ca slash support and check out all the different monthly plans we have there. 
Uh, I think we got everything from like a buck a month to 30 bucks a month. If you want to do more, you can always do that. Just shoot me an email. I can send you a custom sub of any amount. Uh, you can do a one-time donation there as well. And that's how the value for value model works. We'll just keep giving you all these shows for free. And if you find uh, they're giving or adding a little value to your day, then maybe you can add a little value to ours. Uh, if you can't afford to do so financially, of course, check out the show notes. Graham's got a honey-do list in there that's uh, got, I think, five or six or seven different ways to support the show that don't cost you anything but uh, a couple minutes of your time. Yep. Whether it's review or rate or share or whatever the fuck. Do yep. something. Do yep. your part. We're a team here, so we need you guys to help uh, push the train sometimes, too. Anything else? That's it, buddy. Yeah, that was I think good. that's about it. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Can you observe my existence in the way that I make debris swirl in the streets? What is it that inspires us to go left instead of right at that fork in the road? Tell them, be 